0: I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 557, where we find the Eighth Commandment explained in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 42. The Eighth Commandment is, of course, you shall not steal. Question 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed, and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far, our confession In response to the preaching, we'll sing about God's open hand in providing for His creatures, providing food and other needs. Psalm 145, stanzas 1 and 4. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, why do you work? In this worship service, we've already spent some time praying for God's blessing over the labor of our hands, particularly that He would bless the planting of crops and the growth of crops in the fields and all the work that goes into the production of food. So the answer to that question why we work might seem fairly simple well we work so that we can eat and certainly there is truth in that statement but could it be that we are mixing up the result with the purpose mixing the result with the actual real true reason why we set out to work for example if your family decided to visit, say, the residents of Harbor Home once a month on a Saturday, you kind of said to yourselves as family, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go there and visit. We'll play games with them. We'll hang out with them, with the residents. Your purpose in doing that would be to bring them some cheer, to lift up their spirits, to be a blessing to them. That's the, the reason you would go there every once a, once a month on a Saturday. But as you make your monthly visits, you may discover with every visit that you find the staff being very kind and cheerful toward you. They provide coffee or tea along with some very sweet snacks, and you, you come to love those snacks. And they do this every time you come, you get drinks and snacks. Well, that's a result of your decision to visit the folks at Harbour Home. But that's not the purpose. That's not the reason you go there, right? That's what you could call a side benefit. But you're setting out to accomplish a different goal. Well, as we turn to the Eighth Commandment this afternoon, we find that our daily labor is involved in this Eighth Commandment. Stealing, we are not to steal, stealing involve, often involves taking away the labor from somebody else's hands. And the opposite of stealing is to give, to give generously out of the labor of our hands. So it's actually a very important question, the one we started with, why do we work? And the Lord Jesus, we find, both teaches us why and models for us how to obey this eighth commandment. In our daily labor, so I bring you this word of the Lord: Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus in working faithfully for the King. We'll see two things: we are to eat, to work, and work to please. Our catechism, maybe you notice that, mentions uh, this—the whole business of working—at the end of question one eleven, answer one eleven. And speaks about its purpose, but in doing so, mentions nothing about working to eat. There we confess, I must work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need." Our tendency, I think, is to have the opposite impression. I work to be able to provide for my needs. I work to provide for my family. But how many of us go to work Monday morning with the thought that with my earnings, I'm going to do what I can to help my needy neighbor? Is that a dominant thought in our minds? Certainly in the broader world, this is a foreign concept to many. If you ask your neighbor, why do you work? They might say, well, I work to put food on the table. I work to pay the bills. I work to put clothes on my children's backs and a roof over their head. If I don't work, how will I eat and my family? If I don't work, how will I have a home to live in, and who will put clothes on our backs? There's a direct connection between working and our needs, between working and eating, and so many just grow up thinking that I go to work so that I can eat. But what if I said to you, brothers and sisters, that this way of thinking is like how the children, young children, might look at your regular visits to Harbor Home? If you ask your your little kids if you know, in that scenario I painted a moment ago, if you ask them why they're, going to, why they're going to harbor home, they might quickly say, well, we're going there to get tasty treats because they always give us ice cream. The kids focus on the results for themselves, and they think that's the reason that you're all going there once a month. But the older sons and daughters, and certainly the parents know the real reason, no, no, we're we're going there to serve our neighbor for the glory of God. The, 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 The ice cream and all that, that's just something that's a bonus along the way. But we're going there to serve our neighbor. And it turns out it's the very same with our daily employment. Does our work produce an income to buy food that we eat? Yes, most certainly But eating is merely a result, you see. It's a good and necessary result of our labor, but it's not the purpose of our labor. According to the Bible, in fact, it's the other way around. We eat so that we can work. Food is the fuel that God provides so that we can be busy at work serving God by serving others. God teaches us this in the opening chapter of Scripture. We read some verses already from Genesis 1, and I quote now from verse 28. The command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's why we work, uh, because God commands us to work. Our job as humans is to fill the earth and subdue it and exercise dominion over it on behalf of God, who is the great king of all the earth. When we go to work each day, whether it's at, out there in an office or at home or at school, wherever, then we are obeying that creation command. And then listen to what God says in the very next verse, verse 29, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. First, food is given to Adam and to Eve before they go out to work. God provides the food necessary so that man can do his work. The reason we eat is so that we can labor. That kind of puts a different perspective on the whole thing, don't you think? On our work, a different perspective, but also on our food. Most of us, I think, like food. Some of us find that we like food a little too much. We turn to food more than we should so that it ends up doing our body harm. Or we are attracted to certain kinds of food and drink that taste great on our lips, but sit forever, it seems, on our hips. And when we want to adjust that, when we recognize it's not good for us, we want to slow down, we want to stop eating certain foods or drink, we find it hard to quit. But could this biblical perspective give us some clarity and give us some help? the perspective that God created food primarily to fuel my body so that I will be enabled to render service to my king in heaven. So now I can look at that food a little differently and ask this question, is this food that I want to eat, is it going to help me render service to the king? Because that's the food, the purpose of that food. Is the food I'm looking to eat, is it going to be an aid, a help to me, or is it going to get in the way of my service to the king? Brothers and sisters, don't let food be the idol you serve, but let food serve you as you serve the king. We eat in order to work. Maybe that still sounds a bit strange, so let's see the same pattern elsewhere in Scripture because it's not unique to Genesis 1. Think of Israel as they were made to wander around in the desert for 40 years. They weren't even able to grow food in the desert for themselves. What happened there? God provided for them so they could do that that wandering in the desert. He didn't force them somehow to work and then eat later. That's what Pharaoh did in Egypt, forced them to labor and then they could work. But the Lord first provides and then asks them to and, and commands them to keep wandering in the desert until the time came they could enter the promised land. We sang that from Psalm 105. He gave them quail as they demanded, and bread from heaven on them descended. That's the manna. Out of the rock, God's mighty hand made rivers flow in desert land. Meat, bread, water, whatever was needed. Their clothes didn't wear out. It says elsewhere in Deuteronomy, the Lord provided what they needed without having the Israelites first work. Well, it's something similar when they actually arrive in the land of Canaan, and you know from Scripture that the land of Canaan was described as a land flowing with milk and honey, so it was rich in produce. Once the Israelites entered into the land of Canaan, before they had conquered any of the cities and any of those nations, they found food waiting for them. Joshua 5, I quote, And the manna seized the day after they ate of the produce of the land, And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So you understand what's gone on. God had provided manna in the desert for 40 years, brings them across the Jordan, and what do they find? A supply of food waiting for them. God had used the Canaanite farmers to prepare food for His own people in advance so that with that food... They could have the energy to do his bidding to subdue the land and rule it. Moses even anticipated this very arrangement in Deuteronomy 6. I quote And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The food was waiting for them. All those provisions, houses and cities and cisterns already dug, all they had to do was move in, start enjoying it, and then they could carry on with their service of the Lord. We don't work to put food on the table. Rather, God puts food on our table so that we can go about His work. That's really what the Lord Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6, which we read. Jesus teaches us that we don't have to be anxious about our daily provisions like food, shelter, clothing. He does that by contrasting two ways of looking at all these things. He says in verse 32 that the Gentiles, so he's referring to the the unbelievers, Gentiles seek after all these things. They, They chase after all these things, food, shelter, clothing. They work to eat. That's the Gentile, the unbelieving perspective. They work to find clothing. They work to Provide, provide shelter for themselves. But you, my people, that's not your lot. That's not to be your perspective. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows it. So, says Jesus, seek first the kingdom, kingdom of God and His righteousness, and guess what? All these things you need, they will be added to you. They'll be showered upon you. What our Savior is saying is this. Look, you keep your your eyes, keep them on the king. Focus on his kingdom. You go about your work, your work of subduing the earth, whatever it is, your landscaping work, your waste management, your construction industry, your animal care, your buying and selling, your teaching, your parenting, whatever, your learning in school, you do what God puts before you to do. You do it with all your might and ability. Do it for God, and God will provide what you need. That's the simple but profound order of things in God's kingdom. Listen to Jesus' encouraging words in chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than food, body more than the clothing. Food, it's a means to an end. What's the end? To glorify God through our service and God will provide what's needed clothing clothing is a means to an end what's that end what's that goal the goal is serving the Lord and the Lord will provide what you need to serve him you know that perspective might also help with our clothing choices these days In our culture, we have tons and tons of choices, right? Lots of options, and we have lots of money to buy clothing with. But do we stop to ask when we're faced with those choices, is the clothing I I want to buy, is it going to help me in my service of the Lord, or is it going to hinder me? I'm not speaking here against beauty, the beauty of garments or aesthetically pleasing outerwear, nor am I speaking against the delicacies of food. Beauty, tastiness are also gifts from God. But then we need to make use of these things to bring Him honor and praise, to praise our King, and not to bring praise to ourselves. That's often where we trip up. In the area of clothing, what are we doing with our clothing? Are we dressing do we dress for success? Is that our motto? Do we purchase clothes in order to turn heads and make a splash when we enter a room? Are we seeking to be noticed by people and and have people ap- applaud us in one way or the other? That's the world's way. Think of the the way of Jesus. Jesus never dressed to impress, did he? He had the simplest of clothing in his work. He dressed to serve, to serve God by serving the people. Can we follow suit with that mindset when you're cruising through Amazon? Amazon in the clothing department, dress to serve. We were created to work faithfully for our King, and so our thoughts must always be on how to please our King. The Lord Jesus teaches us this too in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. In this parable, the master represents Christ the servants represent all of us as followers of Christ and here too we have the same pattern that we saw earlier in scripture the Lord first provides all that is needed for the servants to do their work and then he sets them to work he gives to the one five talents to the other two talents to the other one talent to each is provided according to both the need of the individual and the wisdom of the master the wisdom of God Not everybody gets the same, either in material goods or in abilities or personal giftings. It might be worth pausing over that for a moment. It's easy to be jealous of another person's abilities, isn't it? Don't you ever wish sometimes that you could do this or do that? Like some other person you know who does that thing really, really well. I wish I could draw. I wish I could do artwork like so and so. I wish I could do math like that person can. I wish I knew how to fix a car like my mechanic does. I wish I knew, I wish I had the ability to speak in public. And you can go on and on. Yet God does not promise you or me just any gift that we might desire. No. He bestows on us certain gifts. And He wants us to perceive them, to understand them, and to accept them and be content with them and go to work with those gifts and talents. Everybody is commanded to work, whether you've got the one talent, the two, or the five. Work with your talents. And it's the same when it comes to money. It's easy to be jealous of another person's wealth. Maybe you've wished sometimes that you could be as rich as this person or that person. Or that your business could be as successful as that business over there. But again, God does not promise to give to everyone the same amount of wealth We have to understand and accept what God has chosen to give us, and we need to learn to be content with what we have received. Obedience to the eighth commandment requires us not to love money. We're not to love money at all, but we are to reserve our love for God. Jesus said it in Matthew 6 it's God or money, it can never be both. If food and clothing are a means to an end, so is money, a tool. Is your money, brothers and sisters, along with your talent, are they being put to use in service of our God and King? That's the main point of this parable in Matthew 25, isn't it? Two servants are faithful in serving their master. They set out right away, using what was given to them, and before long they have made more money for their master. Do you notice how everything in in this parable centers around the master? And if we think of how this pertains to real life, if we think of God and what God does for each of us, what God gives to us. What God asks of us, is it not even more obvious that it all centers around God, everything that we do? Let's go back to Genesis. God creates us. God breathes life into each of us. God then equips us with a mind, with health, with ability and talents. Then He gives us opportunity. And then on top of that, he provides us with food and shelter and clothing and a daily calling. And he says, look, I provide you with everything. Go to work. Very literally, brothers and sisters, all that you and I are and all that we have come directly from God. I mean, we are nothing more than dust walking around, right? Genesis one and two we were created from the dust if god didn't keep us alive we would go back to the dust so if we owe our very existence our very lives to the creator how much more than what we do with our lives we owe everything to him and our creator's design is to set us to work, to please Him, and as we strive to please Him, we discover lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. This is, the, this is what the third servant didn't understand, and frankly, he didn't want to understand, did he? He simply refused to work For the king. He had no desire to please his master. In fact, he tried to put the blame on his master for his own disobedience. I knew you to be a hard man, said that third servant, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. He's blaming God. That sounds like the Garden of Eden all over again, doesn't it? Was this master really a hard and unreasonable man? Had he done that servant uh, an injustice by asking of him what he asked of him? Had he not equipped the other two servants with talents and ability to do what he asked of them? And had not the other two servants done exactly what was asked and flourished in doing so? This servant only condemns himself with his pitiful excuses. Despite all that's been given to him by his master, his only desire was to please himself. He does zero work for the master. So that brings the question home to you and me Whom are you aiming to please? with your daily work what are you doing with the wealth that God gives to you who are you serving with your energy and abilities and talents are you making your bank accounts and reinforcing the resilience of your investments in these difficult marketplace circumstances are you doing that for your own security or are you securing those investments as part of a strategy to please god by using those investments along the way to serve your neighbor and advance god's kingdom what's your plan what have you got planned for the wealth that God has given you what you planning with the wealth that your hands have worked for which come from God he is pleased when we take what he gives and direct it back into his service you know the folks at harbor home need visiting and it's good to visit there and to the other homes. They also need financial assistance to run these homes. Does that have your attention when you plan out your budget, your giving? Bellstone and Timothy and Guido schools are all Christian schools where young people are taught about God's world and how to live in God's world according to God's way. Surely such institutions, please our King, are worthy of our prayers, our volunteer manpower, and our financial support, wouldn't you say? ARPA Canada would be another example. ARPA Canada is on the front lines down in Ottawa trying to wisely inform our governing officials about the biblical, God-pleasing way to govern the nation And urging the elected MPs to listen, would not our king be pleased with such work? You and I, brothers and sisters, we have a privilege. We have the privilege of distributing God's riches, which he's put in our possession. We distribute them, we may distribute them to God's kingdom endeavors, such as those three examples I mentioned, and there's lots more. What's your plan? It's exciting, beloved, to be serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are on the side of victory in all of this service. Jesus Christ has already overcome the devil and the world and even our own sinful nature. And He did it. He did it all by obeying His Father's commands, including this eighth commandment. Remember, he came down to this earth not to do his own will, not to set out to do his own work, but he said, I have come to do the will of my Father. I've come to do my Father's work. Even though it cost Jesus dearly to do so, it meant suffering even unto death. Yet Jesus went about his particular calling. His particular calling to subdue the earth was to preach and teach and heal others while bearing the burden of their sin all the way to the cross. And remember, Jesus didn't have a penny to His name, did He? Yet, did He ever worry about where His next meal would come from? Did He ever worry how He'd receive clothing? No. He knew His Father would provide. He just went about His work, and the Father did provide. The Father sent some women from Galilee. To look after at least some of those needs. There was the provision of wealthy individuals here and there that seemed to provide other of those needs, but he didn't worry, he focused on the service. The Son of Man, he said one time, has no place to lay his head, no place to call home, and yet for three years, God provided places to sleep and God provided energy and health until the work of Jesus was completed. He literally emptied Himself in faithful service to His God and King. He sacrificed everything to secure God's kingdom for you and for me. How then can we be tight-fisted in giving back to Him in, in talent and time and treasure? you know, we only have a short time to do this. A short time to use what God provides to build up His kingdom. Eighty years, says the Bible. If we get 80 years on this life, on this earth, that's quite something already. And after that, we go into eternal glory where we will see, and we will experience, and we will live the splendor of a kingdom our minds can't even fathom. Even the richest man on earth has nothing compared to the splendor that's coming. So don't be hesitant to use whatever God has put into your hands to be rich toward God. A few decades at best is all we've got. The key question we should be asking is, how much can I do for God's kingdom in the little short time that I've got? Service to the king. That's how you find true happiness in this world. Did you notice that? What the master says to the two faithful servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, five talents two talents even though those were quite some sums in those days but but jesus says that's just a little bit you were faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master the two were busy then on earth you could say they were busy with eagerness and faithfulness out of a clear love for their master And their reward, their reward was the joy of still greater service in the next life. With greater joy. Let that be your aim too, beloved. Serving God, your king. That's not a drudgery. That's not a slavery. For in Christ, He has made you daughters. He's made you sons of His Father. Sons and daughters well loved, well provided for. So go and serve then. Like the princes and princesses you are. Serve with dedication, with zeal, with love. And you will know, already now, you will know the joy of your master. Amen.